Good afternoon and welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. At this hour, Governor Wes Moore is presenting his budget at a press conference in Annapolis. Coming up Monday on Midday, we'll take a look at what's in it and where the governor's spending priorities are with WIPR News Director Matt Bush. Plus, Professor Kathleen Day of Johns Hopkins University talks about what the consequences will be if Congress does not increase the debt limit in a timely way. So that's coming up Monday on Midday. And joining me now are three excellent reporters who have collaborated on a documentary film that explores the consequences of tax breaks that the city of Baltimore offers to developers. The intention of these tax breaks is to spur economic growth, but as the film points out, assessing the impact of these multi-million dollar financial incentives is often difficult to do. Stephen Janice and Taya Graham are reporters at the Real News Network. Jane Miller is an award-winning former investigative reporter with WBAL Television, and they all join me here in Studio A. It's good to see everybody. Thanks for Thanks, coming Tom. in. Thank Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having us. us. We appreciate it. So, Taya, let me start with you. Explain what a TIF is, Tax Increment Financing. It's one of the, the, the two acronyms we got to sort out before we start. Sure. Well, a TIF, which is Tax Increment Financing, is the question that we had through Throughout this documentary, and we were told that it was a tax subsidy. We were told that it was a tax break. We were told that it was simply a financial tool that was neutral. What it does is it uses taxes on future gains in real estate values to pay for new infrastructure improvements. An area is approved to be a TIF district by the city council, and it should be used to incentivize development in blighted areas. But what we've discovered in Baltimore is that it hasn't always been used that way. And I would say Harbor Point is a very good example of that. And in what way is Harbor Point a good example? Well, even Jay Brody, who's the former president of BDC, he called it one of the most valuable properties in the country. So you have to ask, why was a TIF needed if this property is considered valuable? In other words, it's not a blighted area. Exactly. Yeah. So a TIF then, Stephen Janice, mm-hmm. uh, has to do with a geographic area. Yeah. Well, first of all, the council has to approve a TIF district you know, through legislation. But the actual mechanism of the TIF is 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 basically the idea is, okay, any new value created in, in property, uh, any new value created, any taxes from that new value should go back into the property. So basically, you know, if you're looking at Harbor Point, it's worth a million, let's say, before it was built. After it's built, it's worth 300 million. So all the taxes from that 300 million that would go flow into the Baltimore City, you know, uh, general fund actually goes to the developer. But what's interesting about it is the mechanism, how this works. Well, wait what, a minute. It goes, goes to the pay the bond. Pay the bond. Well, that's what I was about right, to say. Correct. That's what I was about to say. Right. Well, what's interesting mechanism. about it, yeah. So they right. estimate out, let's say it's going to be worth $400 million, and during that period of time, there would be $150 million in taxes paid by the developer, by that new development. There would be. There would be. Would there be. would be. I mean, in other words, if yeah. there were no TIF, yeah. uh, your, your property exactly. is worth $400 million, right. your taxes are $150 million, right. you write the check, end of story. But the TIF changes mm. all that. Right. And so what the TIF does is say, we're going to issue bonds, just like the city does issue bonds. We're going to issue bonds, um, and we're going to take all that value up front and give you that money up front. So in other words, you don't have to, like, if you were just doing it over time, you would have $3 million a year to invest. But instead, you get $150 million up front to invest in your project. So it's, it's really a form of using public dollars to finance development. Um, and, you know, it's not really, and it, it also is somewhat vague-ish so that, you know, really, even when explained to you, you're staring at me like, what are you talking about, Stephen? <laughs> yes, and, I'm sorry, Stephen, I am. <laughs> and, and I'm trying my best. But really, think about it this way. It's just, it's just a way to, 
use your public dollars to finance your project. And and that's where the debate comes. Is this a tax break? Is this just a way to pay for inf- infrastructure? As Tay mentioned, it's still sort of an open question, although I've, I have my own feelings about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, and Jane, I mean, is it a tax break then? In other words, I always thought... It's a tax diversion. It's a tax diversion. That's mm-hmm. a really good way to put it. Because- Here's a good way to, to put a number to it. As of FY21, the city had committed to $588 million in TIF debt, a meaning that's, you know, the principal and interest on the bonds the city had committed to selling that, that much in bonds. Now, it's, that number is going to continue to grow mm-hmm. because what the city is committed to are pretty large amounts of bond selling for Harbor Point, which is, you know, pretty well underway, and then what, what we used to know as Port Covington, which right. was the big one. Um, so, yeah, so what happens is, you know, the tax gets, the, the, the property gets assessed, it has an increase in value, now the taxes are going to be assessed, and instead of going to the general fund, the taxes go first to pay the bond, yeah, the to pay the bondholders, yeah. correct. To, if there's an excess, then that would go to the general fund in a particular year. Um, so, but like I said, the, it's almost $600 million that the city has already agreed to, to forego to the general fund and instead to go to the bondholders right. who are buying the bonds to finance these projects. And significantly, that's $240 million in interest, interest. alone. Interest, correct. Alone. It would not exist um, if not for a TIF. So, um, so and, and if you're a, a bond investor, these mm-hmm. are right. pretty good deals then. The, the, no, they these pay, are, they pay, they're more expensive. They pay yeah, a they higher pay better, interest rate. Higher, so they, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the bond itself is supposed to be, you know, there's supposed to be, well, it's sold as there's no risk. The TIF district, if the property owner fails to pay, then the whole TIF district gets an assessment to cover it. And so they're, it's supposed to be risk-free, but this is all taken against the city's credit because a couple of years ago, the, the city had to use um, the Maryland uh, uh, Stadium Authority to re- issue bonds because it would exceed their the limit that um, bond... That they're allowed. <laughs> yeah, they're allowed, yeah. I just, I, I almost started to talk myself into something where I'm like, I don't even understand what I'm saying. So. <laughs> well, this, you know, and the movie, you know, you make also clear uh, in the movie, Taya, that it's really difficult to assess, to, to, to evaluate whether or not all this money that's being invested in these TIF bonds is is a, a good return on investment for the city. It's really hard because the argument is, um, I guess there's, there's two arguments. One's called the but-for argument. Right. Uh, and uh, let's, let's take that one first. So uh, w- what does that, that refer to? So what we noted in the documentary was that the firm Municap gets paid to analyze the projects as viable using something known as a but-for analysis. But for this, the subsidy, but for the subsidy, the project wouldn't be viable. But Municap is also paid to manage these bonds. So while they're supposed to be an outside objective party to these deals, it seems like they have an inherent conflict of interest. Okay, but the 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 conflict of interest is very interesting, and you you talk about this a lot in the in the movie, and it's really it's it's crazy that the people making the evaluation are also the ones selling the bonds. I would agree. Um, <laughs> but the the, <clears throat> uh, the how how does one know this the uh, the legitimacy of this but for argument? In other words, uh, if you go to a developer mm-hmm. uh, and say we want you to develop Port Covington or you mm-hmm. know the Baltimore Peninsula, um, uh, d- do the developers say okay? Well, I'll only do it if you give me a tiff. 
I won't well, do it well, if you don't. Exactly what's happened. That's what that's Michael exactly. Beatty said at the time with Harbor Point. We have it in the documentary. He says, without a tiff, this will not happen. So they do say that. But the but And people it, take their word for it. In other words, absolutely. That, that's been one of the ongoing conflicts about this because they say, because the BDC, the Baltimore Development Corporation, will say because these are private developers, the public doesn't have a right to look at their books or the underlying justification. And generally, when these deals, these TIF deals um, come through the council, they're already sort of preordained. I mean, it's not like you see the deliberations between the BDC and the developer or any of the financials they submit. You see it in, the, you can look at the TIF application, but it's really, the TIF application is the deal already outlined and constructed. So it's not like you have any sort of insight, but does the developer really not have the money to do this? What are the actual, you know, internals on the developers and where are they actually allocating the money? It's not as, as specific as you would want, say, if you were a bank, let's say Baltimore is a bank and we're going to lend money. You get much more detailed information. We don't get that. We just get the uh, council legislation and, you know, the finance board kind of okays it. But, but no, the, I think the but fours are, are, are little, a construction that c could be more detailed. Let's put it that way. Stephen Janice, Jane Miller, and Taya Graham are here. We're talking about their documentary called Tax Broke. If you are smart enough to understand what we're talking about, <laughs> you are welcome to give us a call. 410-662-8780. And believe me, you'll be smarter than me. Our email midday at WIPR.org. And you can tweet us at midday. WIPR. Can I make just one quick point about that? Because what the documentary is about is not necessarily the machinations of a TIF or even a pilot, which you might talk about. It's about a story that's being told about Baltimore, that Baltimore's tax rate is unacceptable to a small group of people, but has to be paid by the rest of us. And those small group of people should be exempted. Otherwise, the city will have no future. And that's like the bigger overarching narrative that we absorb. I think, Jane, we talk about this a lot, this idea, this story that Baltimore is not deserving of a equitable tax structure that exists in other jurisdictions. If you live 100 yards over the Baltimore City Line, you suddenly have to pay twice the taxes of Baltimore County because you just chose to live in Baltimore. I, I don't right. see how that's good. And that's, just and that's the thing, Jane. Uh, are developers in Baltimore County, Howard County, Anne Arundel County, are they uh, offered these same no. deals? Do they need them? No. The projects still go <laughs> no, forward. And no, and no. Yeah. <laughs> so why is it that they're necessary <laughs> yes, in Baltimore? Yes, and yes, yes, the projects go forward. <laughs> yeah. um, Oh, the amount of subsidy given in Baltimore County is under $10 million, according to their financial reporting. It's, you know, it's so minuscule. What, now, they the have, other, they have Why? other kinds of credits that have to do with clean energy, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of, you know, apples to apples, it, look, it's the tax rate there is half. Um, the, the county builds infrastructure in in some ways that, you know, as is pointed out in the documentary, you know, that at one time Baltimore City was wealthier than it is. So it could build infrastructure, et cetera. It doesn't have that kind of money anymore. The county continues to build infrastructure for its growth. But, you know, it's it that's a very complex story of why is Baltimore County developing and growing and Baltimore City is not. That incorporates uh, you know, years and years and years of discriminatory housing policies, yes. of racial segregation, of isolation, of redlining. I mean, that's how we get to where we are. Baltimore City, when all the people were fleeing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, had to raise property taxes, what, 15, uh, 15 times, times or something 15 like times. that in, yeah. you know, 18 years or something. Yeah. You know, it's just that's how it responded to its population loss was to continue to raise its property tax. That's how you get to this huge disparity. And I think to the point you're making about are they effective in Baltimore City? That's mm. the million dollar question <laughs> and the and the most difficult to answer. This is a non-transparent po 
process for the most part. There aren't lengthy council hearings when the you know, council wants to award a tax credit to this project or that project. Yes, the TIF got some debate for Port Covington back in 2016. But for the most part, we have now tax credits are being awarded to apartment developers that they just get automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so the whole process of debating them, are they valuable? Are they effective? Should we do it? All of that gets very little attention. And then you go try to back and find out how much, well, how much are they really paying here? Really difficult to to find them. And Taya Graham, uh, there's a scene uh, where City Councilwoman Odette Ramos mm-hmm. proposes a bill in a committee to uh, formulate a, a group that will do an investigation about this, the efficacy of these things. You know, do they work? Mm-hmm. Do they not? And this is just a study. Um, tell us what happens in that. Sure. And I just scene. want to add to what Jane said. Um, when development is done in the surrounding counties, they often pay impact fees back to the communities, whereas we are handing away the store, essentially, to developers who are willing to develop in Baltimore. But with Odette Ramos, Councilwoman Ramos just proposed a very modest study of six or seven TIFs um, just to see whether or not uh, Baltimore City residents were getting what was promised to them. And so uh, I think everyone, um, including Councilwoman Ramos, thought Mm -hmm. this was going to be passed through quite easily. There was $30,000 already allocated by the mayor just sitting there waiting. And as we watched um, Councilman Stokes, uh, Councilwoman Middleton speak, we realized, oh my gosh, they're voting this down. And I was really shocked because this was just an ask for transparency. It was, That's all it was. This was to study whether or not they work. Absolutely. For $30,000, which is a lot of money to me, but not Correct. a lot of money to the city right. of Baltimore. That's, that's, that's decimal dust to our city council. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And just for uh, behind the scenes, you know, as I'm up in the galley, we're trying to get two angles. <laughs> and I'm on the floor And Tay's on the floor. And then I suddenly realized this other. isn't going to pass. I run downstairs because we couldn't. We were, we were stunned, left. Tom. We were stunned. <laughs> right. that, yeah, that she this kind didn't, of stormed It seemed out. like a routine. You know, this is a subcommittee. What didn't even get out of committee. So it kind of shows like the resistance there is in the city to being. And do we have any reason to, or any any understanding of the reasons that Councilman Stokes, Councilwoman Middleton Mm. opposed it? What did they say? Councilwoman Middleton said that, oh, it's going to be a study. It's just going to slow down the project. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And Stokes said, Stoke said they, they just work. They, they work. work. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? I mean, there, there's just, like they, that's yeah. what I said. So there's, there's an there's, assumption that these exactly. things are good. That, right. You know, again, the but for argument, we would, no one would uh, develop Baltimore exactly. Peninsula were it not for the TIFs. Now, the TIF in, in the Baltimore Peninsula used to Port be Covington. Court, Port, right. Port Covington. Correct. The fourth biggest TIF in the United States of America. They history. History. That's right. United yes. States At of that America. time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so this was a huge deal. But there were a whole bunch of concessions or there were a whole bunch of uh, agreements that the community developers benefits. made. Mm-hmm. Community benefits. So it had to do with employing people from the city. It had to do with affordable housing being part of the development. It had to do with, you know, jobs in the retail establishments that would be established. I mean, aren't those of benefit to the city, Jane? Well, I think we'll see. That that's a good question, and that has has been the just the overriding question of all of this subsidy: is it benefiting a greater good? This might benefit, you know, the nearby you know South Baltimore communities to some extent, but what is it doing for the rest of the city? West Baltimore's, you know, median family income has barely budged in twenty years. Twenty years. 
I mean, look, what you name the what's and the big the development? And the median income is, as you mentioned in the movies, like less than twenty five thousand. Oh yeah, dollars it's, a year. you know, it's it's right. it's horrible. And, right. And yet, and there's no investment going on over there to speak of. Not like it's going on in other parts of the city. When you see the cranes in Baltimore City along the waterfront, that is almost all subsidized. In one form or another. In one form or another. Yeah. I mean, the waterfront in Baltimore City is heavily subsidized. No question. Well. But is it the argument also that, okay, you know, sure, West Baltimore needs development, but it's not either or. We're not going to do Port Covington and not do West Baltimore. We're going to do Port Covington and West Baltimore. Yeah, but we haven't. Yeah. But is the is the argument about, I mean, isn't it uh, better than not that the developers agree to, you know, housing uh, concessions and job. Well, sure. I mean, you have. Well, right, if you, right. you look at the recent inclusionary housing law right. that's been widely debated in the council, they've only built 36 or 37 units according to the council's own statistics. So I don't think that Devil's this. Devil's in the details, in other words. Right. And that's yeah. why that study was so important to find out whether or not these developers were actually providing the promised jobs and providing the affordable housing. That's why that report was so important. And Taya, you mentioned um, when you were giving us a definition of a TIF that it's supposed to go, some of this money is supposed to go into infrastructure. Yes. So does the developer pay for the infrastructure? I thought the city was in charge of the roads and the streetlights and the water, and then the developers come in and build around it. Well, that's sort of an interesting question because we don't know exactly how the developer is using that money. We don't have a full accounting of that. That's part yeah. of the issue with the transparency. I mean, they, do, they, they are supposed to build the infrastructure out of the TIF money. That's how often the TIFs are sold in many jurisdictions is the city can't build the infrastructure. So we'll give you a TIF so you can build the infrastructure. But one thing that we found in our research was that TIF bonds are about three times more or very much more expensive than gen general obligation bonds, which mm -hmm. are used to fund infrastructure. So the city's paying a premium, even if that were the argument. But I think that you see in lots of TIFs, there are other things that are built with TIF money besides just infrastructure. And Jane Miller, uh, you also bring out the fact that this goes way back to a decision that was made a long time ago. In the 1850s. Ago, in the 1850s <laughs> about... Thank you, Matt Crenson, for his <laughs> About <laughs> Sebio, a great historian who, who, Absolutely. who explained Absolutely. that they, there was a moment where the city of Baltimore and Baltimore County could have been combined into one jurisdiction like it is and in were. Atlanta, right. Georgia, right. or you know, many other places. Los Angeles, you name yeah. it. You name uh, it. But they didn't do that. Correct. So what? what is the... The impact oh. or the consequence of the fact that Baltimore City is this little jurisdiction floating around in this larger, more wealthy jurisdiction. Well, the second of thing, that, there's two things that happened. One, the state legislature separated the two, gave them each a judicial district. That's how it became Baltimore County and Baltimore City. But then, in 1948, the voters of, of Maryland approved a constitutional amendment that said Baltimore City can't annex. So you look around the country at other cities that have annexed, you know, surrounding land. Baltimore City can't do that. It can't grow. So that's how it becomes this. I mean, look at the boundaries of Baltimore City. Those aren't natural boundaries. It's about 80 square miles. Yeah, but they're just like down. lines drawn. There's no like, oh, it follows the river, or it follows the stream, or it follows whatever. That's they're just point. arbitrary lines of a border. And so what we were left with is a city that is totally independent and isolated from its surrounding area where there was plenty of room to grow. 
And people did. And obviously, during the 60s and 70s, with the flight of population from Baltimore City, that's where they went. So you're left. Here we are in 2022. Baltimore City still, as David Rusk argued in his book, is still housing a majority of the region's poor. It is still, you know, providing many services for lower income people and in, you know, challenged communities, et cetera, et cetera. We, and, we're, and, it, and they're on their own. Now, granted, Baltimore City is getting state aid, et cetera. But mm-hmm. in terms of providing services, Baltimore City is on its own. It does not get any benefit from its neighbors in Baltimore County, you know, to the north, east, west, and south. And we've talked on this show many times about, you know, what about, what, what yeah, would happen right. if exactly. we combine Baltimore County and Baltimore City? But there's, uh, there's no political appetite for that happening. Today. Oh, I would have to agree 100%. But what I think is sort of interesting about the TIFFs is that what we're finding out is that developers would build in Baltimore if the property tax rate was lower. And we have these conversations about building generational wealth, supporting communities that we want our city to grow. Um, I think we've actually lost roughly uh, 30,000 people, 35,000 residents residents in the past decade. Um, So if we want our city to grow, we should consider lowering property taxes for everyone. If we want a young person to decide to buy a home and raise a family here in Baltimore, if we want to help our folks who are on fixed incomes, we should consider giving them a TIF too, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing, Stephen. TIF for all. (laughs) TIFs are only available to developers. They are not available to individual homeowners. At this point, no, no, no. There's no individual. I mean, obviously, as Jane, as we all know, homeowners get certain tax rates. But no, you or I cannot go down to City Hall and say, <laughs> I would like a TIF because I want to add an extension to my house. You can only qualify for this you know, if you're a developer with a major project. And I think that's part of the problem because we're creating a, a two systems in this city. You know, one system of taxation for wealthy developers with political connections and one system of taxation for the average homeowner. And I think what we talked about before previously with the Odette Ramos bill, I think you could see that in evidence. It, it, they weren't saying, I have a developer who's my major campaign donor who is telling me not to vote for this. They weren't saying that out loud, but I think you can imp- infer that there is a political economy around this tax rate, mm-hmm. which basically creates an unequal community, right? I mean, how can you ask a, a grandmother on Pennsylvania Avenue to pay full property taxes when Patarakis, as we noticed, uh, uh, when the hotels uh, down in Harbor East uh, paid $1 for 25 years as Jane got the invoice mm-hmm. somehow? Uh, you know, you, <laughs> and I think he wrote it all in one check, $25, right? right? That's like, <laughs> and, and it also it reinforces the artificial boundaries you talked about where, between Baltimore City and Baltimore County. It gives that Artificial line, arbitrary geographical line, meaning when you put a price tag on it, right? Stephen Janis, Jane Miller, and Taya Graham have collaborated on a new documentary. It's called Tax Broke. They will present a free screening of the film at the Charles Theater next Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And they'll be with me here on Midday until the top of the hour. You are welcome to join us. What do you think about the property tax rate here in Baltimore? It's high. It's twice what it is in all the surrounding jurisdictions. There was an effort to uh, have a ballot amendment that would say, or a ballot referendum that would force the city to lower it. That failed. We'll talk about that when we come back. After a quick break, 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at Midday WIPR. You can join the dozens of people who follow me on Twitter at Tom Hall WIPR. Stay with us.
This is 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, my guests are three top-notch investigative reporters who have produced a documentary about the practice of offering generous tax breaks to developers who are doing projects in Baltimore City. Stephen Janice and Taya Graham of the Real News Network wrote and produced a film. Jane Miller, who retired last year after more than 40 years at WBAL Television, contributed reporting to the documentary, which is called Tax Broke. They'll screen the film at the Charles Theater next Thursday night, and you are welcome to join us now. 410-662-8780, our email midday at wypr.org and to tweet us it's at midday wypr so let's talk a little bit Taya, about harbor point which is a separate deal from uh, port covington and you know now called the baltimore peninsula when you talk about these geographic um, designations the mm-hmm. city council decides this um, harbor point as you mentioned a very wealthy area so right. they had to include a less wealthy area yes. in order to make the TIF, you know, uh, be in accordance with the law, I guess, right? So right. tell us how they did that. Well, to me, this was rather interesting to see how this very valuable piece of land, in order to justify the TIF, had to sort of gerrymander um, the TIF district to include Perkins Homes, which, as we know, is very dilapidated. I did a lot of reporting there. Um, And honestly, Perkins does need to be renovated. But will this benefit actually help the Perkins residents? Will the buildings that are built as a result of this project actually be something that Perkins residents can move back? into. Yeah, and let me just add um, that actually, it's really interesting, Tay and I have talked about this a lot, that actually was to get in this shows kind of the system, how weird it is, that this was actually the inclusion of, of, of Perkins Homes and other parts of Baltimore was to get um, an um, impact zone tax credit, I mean enterprise zone, excuse me I apologize, enterprise zone tax credit, which was a tax credit on top of the TIF. So they basically, uh, you know, had, because it was the, the medium household income in the Harbor Point area was too high, uh, they had to sort of bring in other neighborhoods in the city. But of course, Jane, at this point, I think the entire city is like an enterprise zone tax credit. This, like, but, but it just shows you, and actually this year, Harbor Point, sorry, there's a lot of stuff to get out here, and I apologize. Harbor Point would have had to pay taxes to the city if not for the enterprise zone tax credit, which wiped out all their excess tax debt. So it's a, it's a really weird, you know, using the poorest residents to subsidize the richest. Yeah, so I think what we want to be clear about is that we're not talking about one particular subsidy. There is mm-hmm. a myriad of different mm-hmm. subsidies. So there's an enterprise zone credit, which is available in commercial areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a state credit. Uh, and then there's a Brownfields credit, which is Baltimore City arguably is all a Brownfields credit. That's an environmental designation. Then there we started with the TIF um, development probably 20 years ago were the first ones. They started at, at very small. And then there is a fourth subsidy of pretty large substance, which is called a pilot, a payment in lieu of tax agreement. That was the Marriott Hotel in Harbor East. Um, more than 20 years ago, the city council granted a pilot to John Paterakis, Baker, the late John Paterakis, Baker developer, of $1 per year for 25 years. Um, so he paid one bill, a $25 bill. He got it in beginning in 2002, wrote a check, $25. And the been, city thought that this payment in lieu of taxes correct. for 25 whole dollars correct. Uh, was worth it. Why? 
because well, Paterakis wouldn't, is, again, the but-for right. thing, he wouldn't have built right. a hotel it, if he didn't get the yes. tax. Right. They right. That's that's the argument that is used, that the only way I'm going to develop this property is if I get a tax break. And because, the, you know, the taxes are high, there's been $56 million in, the estimate is that $56 million in property taxes on that hotel have Alone. not been paid. Just Alone. Hotel. And the argument then is, if the city property tax rate were the same as Baltimore County, Correct. Paterakis would have said, oh, that's a fair tax rate. I'll just mm-hmm. build a hotel. Well, that's exactly. a good question. We don't do it. So we don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's a but good we don't question. Know. Yeah. We don't, we don't we know, don't but know. that's right. kind of the theory behind what you know we were going to talk about in terms of lowering the tax rate. Yes. Yeah, look, yes. and no, we're not here to say development's bad. It's not bad. Right. What we're What we're looking at is the question, is it fair? Does it serve a greater good? Why is it that we have this huge disparity in income and housing condition and opportunity in Baltimore that seems only to be getting wider. Is there a way to make Baltimore City, first of all, more competitive with its surrounding region in terms of just this one thing, which is the tax rate and the personal property tax rate, which is also involved here? And then secondly, is there a policy? What are the policies that to try to ensure that we are not doing that we're not creating more disparity in our development. That's really the bottom line question. The phones have blown up, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a full uh, docket of folks who want to weigh in. Let's start with Bill in Pigtown. Welcome to Midday. Thanks for calling. Hi. I appreciate the looking at the taxes and the various subsidies. Uh, There is a way where we can uh, eliminate our high tax rate without destroying the income that the city gets. And it would benefit about 60% of the state of Maryland. It's considered we are one state of Maryland. We should all have the same property tax rate statewide and start out if you're 10% of the population, you get 10% of the money. Maybe eventually places with more problems get higher percentage. Right now, the poorer counties subsidize the rich counties by allowing them to have a low rate and high benefits. Uh, and uh, it, I talked about it for years, and it would be the way, uh, whether that would end the need for tips and stuff, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it would do a hell of a lot to get us moving forward, and it would particularly, we talk about leave no one behind, right now we are pushing rich people ahead, we have to stop pushing rich people ahead so we can leave no one behind. All right, well thanks for the call. Stephen, what do you think? One um, state, one rate? I mean, you know, I think that would, there's a lot of arguments for that because it, I think, I truly think it would make it harder to make the argument we have to have a TIF. You can't say, well, our tax rate is too high because everyone else is the same. Politically, I don't think that will ever happen. But I think, yes, why not think about that? It would create a more regional approach to governance, um, you know, a more statewide approach to solving complex social problems. I think it's a good idea, but, you know, I'm just a reporter. We have an email from Mark who says, I'm a former municipal finance professional and an expert witness at disputes arising from bond investment. TIF financing is not a diversion of taxes. It's a deferral of property taxes until such time that an even greater amount of property taxes can be collected. TIF bond sales proceeds are used to build out infrastructure Mm -hmm. like sewer and water services, etc. This is often necessary because the developer may not have sufficient capital on hand to pay for that phase of the development. So here's a defender of TIFs, Taya. Um, you know, it's just deferring it. 25 years later, all these taxes are going to come slowing down from the mountain. Well, 
That's the thing. They're deferring it, except then they get an enterprise tax zone credit, and then it's deferred again. I mean, that's exactly what Jane was talking about. Um, Harbor Point actually owed the city about $4.8 million in property taxes, and then they get an enterprise tax zone credit, and then it's deferred again. Well, so when are they eventually going to pay us this golden <laughs> amount and, of property taxes to what, our city? And what he fails to mention is that all that property tax lost to interest that wouldn't be there if the city just built the infrastructure in the first place. And what he also fails to mention is that how County and other counties don't charge, build their own infrastructure, then charge the developer to build, to pay for that. It, 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 the developer pays for the infrastructure, basically. Only in Baltimore City does this uh, system that he talks about work. And sure, if you want to give up uh, hundreds of million dollars in future property tax to Wall Street, it's a great idea. But I don't think he's characterizing this accurately at all. Jane, um, one of the things that the film makes very, very clear. Um, you've been doing investigative reporting for a long time. You have found documents in uh, <laughs> under all sorts of crevices and behind She's all sorts right. of you know cabinets. Um, but finding the information you need mm -hmm. to make a valid, you know, legitimate, credible assessment is really hard. This is cloaked in secrecy. Yes. Um, yes. The BDC. It's a huge frustration. The BDC, the Baltimore Development Corp. I didn't know this. Mm -hmm. I learned this in the movie. Is not subject to uh, public meeting laws. They can do anything they want with the door closed. Um, and and it, so the transparency dimension of this story is very important. There's been some easing of that. There has we, been some we, easing yeah, of um, that. Yeah. And the B, but. But that does not mean that we have great transparency. Mm -hmm. As the film points out, the city is supposed to file reports with the state on the economic benefit of some of the large projects that got that have payment in lieu of tax agreements. And we went looking for them and like, where are they? they and we pu pushed and pushed and pushed. Last one we could see was 2018 kept pushing and next thing you know they filed four years worth of reports all at once. <laughs> and so but that's that's just just one example. One example yeah. of the of the difficulty. So, so the, the the statutes, the regulations, the laws exist. Yep. I mean yep. the city's yep. supposed to file Correct. the reports and they don't. Correct. I mean, exactly. you know. And that's the problem. Yeah. And that's that raises a, a a troubling question to me, which is with all of these subsidies in play, does this can the city account for them? And is it looking at whether what we are subsidizing is creating more jobs, better jobs? Cre and, and obviously, it's not drawing residents. I mean, it no. may be drawing new residents, but we're losing. We have a net, net loss. So it's yep. not increasing our population. And that's a very important and that's point. a huge basis on a lot of the but-fours is that you're going to bring in more residents. Yeah. yeah, correct. Let's go to the phones to former Sen uh, State Senator Jim Brochin is on the line from Cockeysville. Jim, welcome to Midday. Hey, guys, how are you? We're doing great. <laughs> Good. So here's a troubling question. How many of those TIFs are tied to developer contributions? I mean, who's mm. getting a TIF who didn't load up on every councilman they could to get the majority and into the mayor also? Not particularly this mayor, any mayor. So, I mean, have you, did you guys look at that in the film? That's we, a question I would love to be able to answer for you. We, we have looked at in other areas you know it's no there's no doubt that developers have a huge influence and donate a lot of money it, uh, we didn't get a chance to go in that just because of the complexity of the subject matter but that could probably be tax broke part two exactly <laughs> the developers have arrived right. so thank you right. for giving us an idea to do a second film because i think we, we were happy to do that but it is it is a true fact yeah, well, thank you, Jim. That is, of course, a good question. And, you know, money and politics, they're connected. Oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> Kill surprise. Um, let's go to Eric. He's in northeast Baltimore. Welcome to Midday. Thanks for calling. 
Oh, thanks, Tom. You know, if, if this conversation were a college class, it would be called Oligarchy 101. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, you know, the two questions, related ones. Uh, do, does it, do we know, uh, does anyone know, what the city has taken in uh, from from the, the development of Port Covington since the city gave Kevin Plank all those mm-hmm. millions and millions, uh, as you mentioned, what, six years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago? Well, they, well nothing they really they're not they're not really the f- buildings aren't finished. So they're not generating any so revenue. So they're not fact, generating the, any revenue the, right now. The development right. is considerably smaller than it was originally conceived. Yeah, right. it has oh, been scaled back. Yeah, we a great show deal. that in the doc we show the two different renderings. So. And I think right. they only have two tenants right now? No, one. one. Only one, one. now. Okay. Right. So, that we know so to answer your question, until the buildings are finished and occupied, there's not going to be an assessment on them in order to generate tax revenue. We should also note that to date, the city has only sold about $150 million worth of bonds yeah, that I roughly. know of. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen anything. $178 million or something like Correct. that. Correct. First tranche. And, and there's, there's some question about what's going to happen next there beyond this phase. I, I don't think that there's been a clear plan, um, as I've noticed, as I've read mm-hmm. kind of some of the statements. Uh, we have an email from Maria who says we have to look at the state's crazy assessment practices mm. in Baltimore well, City. No, this is a whole. So other again, film. when your when your oh. home is assessed for the property mm-hmm. taxes taxes that you pay to the city, the city's not assessing it. It's the state agency mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. assessing it. Um, how do, does that play into it? Because they obviously well, do the assessments for the big developers. I too. think um, obviously that's a huge way the city increases your property taxes. I mean, the property tax doesn't rise, but your assessment rises. And it's somewhat, you know, of an opaque system. I mean, I, our, our house has gone up a lot, <clears throat> and that's raised our taxes. And I think that is something worth looking at, whether or not those values properly reflect what's going on in the city. I think that's a great question. All right. That's all the time we have to take up this question, but I'm sure it's not the last time we take up <laughs> these very important <laughs> questions that you guys have raised in this really interesting film. Stephen Janis, Taya Graham, and Jane Miller, thank you all. Oh, appreciate Tom, it. Thanks thank so much so for having, much for thank having you. us. The movie thanks is so. called Tax Broke. There will be a free screening at the Charles Theater here in Baltimore next Thursday at 7 o'clock. We've got a link to information on the Midday webpage on the WYPR website. That's it for us today. Coming up Monday, we'll talk about the first budget that Governor Wes Moore is presenting to the legislature in Annapolis. He's doing that right now. And as the we'll talk about the impact of not raising the debt ceiling. We'll talk about the impact of that if Congress can't get their act together and reach an agreement. So that's on deck Monday here on Midday. Midday's director and engineer is Shania Mapson. Luke Spicknell is WIPR's director of operations. Taria Rogers, Rob Sivak, and Mallory Pinkard-Pierre produce our program. Austin Coglin from Clean Cuts wrote and recorded the Midday theme music. Reveal is up next after news at the top of the hour. Happy Lunar New Year. The year of the rabbit begins Sunday night. We leave you with the music of David Crosby, heard here performing Wooden Ships with the iconic rock band Crosby, Stills, and Nash. David Crosby died yesterday after a long illness at the age of 81. I'm Tom Hall. Have a great weekend. I can see by your coat, you're from the other side. i
This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR.